Psalm chapter 23, Psalm 23, page 458 of the Blue Bibles in front of you. If you'd like to use that as a reference, otherwise Psalm 23 in your own copy of God's Word. Out of the night that covers me, black as the pit from pole to pole, I thank whatever God's may be for my unconquerable soul. In the fell clutch of circumstance, I have not winced nor cried aloud under the bludgeonings of chance. My head is bloody, but unbowed. Beyond this place of wrath and tears looms but the horror of the shade. And yet the menace of the years finds and shall find me unafraid. It matters not how straight the gate How charged with punishments the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. So goes William Henley's famous poem, Invictus. Whether in movies that you might remember if you're older like me, like Dead Poets Society. Or biographies like the famous Nelson Mandela's. The world has proudly claimed this poem as her anthem. The appeal, I think, is to Henley's seeming certainty in the face of the unknowns. Whatever God's may be, whatever chance brings me, no matter that death looms on the horizon, I am the one at the helm. I control my destiny. Henley's poem attempts to calm our fear of the unknown. We desperately want to know where we're going. But to me, Henley's solution rings hollow. Do we really think we will maintain a steady grip at the helm when the dark shroud of death comes? Would we bank our soul on it? And are we really going to be so flippant With the existence of a creator that we would say whether God exists or not is of no consequence to my life. And as convenient an explanation it might be to say our lives are just the product of chance. We know that is a deeply unsatisfying answer. Henley seems to have chosen his direction, but this morning I aim to show us that is not the direction we should choose. A better direction is given in another poem, Psalm 23, written by a shepherd turned king, David, who tells us that a life of following is better than a life in the lead. That, unlike Henley's contention, there is a God who is, a God who orders and directs our lives for purposes even greater than each of us being our own master. Listen, if you can hear that as I read Psalm 23, a psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. 
Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. If you're visiting with us for the first time, let me say welcome on behalf of our church. We hope that you are encouraged and helped in your time with us. But you're coming at a time when we're sort of in the middle of something. We've been studying through this psalm, this poem, uh, for the last several weeks. And we're coming this morning to look more closely at the second half of verse 3, which says, He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. We looked last time, two weeks ago, at that first part, he restores my soul. We saw that God goes out to find us in our wandering and brings us back. And here in the kind of second half of this verse, we see him going with us in a positive direction. Away from our wandering and our wickedness towards his righteousness. God's direction succinctly described. The main idea here in this phrase is that the Lord God is committed in love to lead you as his child. And the way he is leading you is exactly the way you need to go. So we're going to consider this together for our time. This verse is going to show us that the shepherd leads us on his paths for his glory. If you were to write one thing as a main idea, the shepherd leads you on his paths for his glory. And so as we consider it, we will be encouraged. I hope you're encouraged to live surrendered to the shepherd's direction. Live surrendered to the shepherd's direction. So to examine this idea that the shepherd leads us on his paths for his glory and to encourage us to live surrendered to his direction, we're going to take a closer look at this phrase He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And we're going to take it in three parts. We're going to look at his lead, his paths, and his glory. His lead, his paths, and his glory. First, we see his lead. It's right there. He leads me. Of course, David is referring to the one he spoke about in verse 1. The Lord, his shepherd. David is reflecting here on the Lord's choice to personally involve himself in David's life. He leads me. The Lord is personally invested in your direction. Three words. He leads me and we are already deep into the love of God for humanity. He finds us lost, wandering from him. He calls us and puts us on the right path, the way to life. Three words, and we are already deep into our need for God to love us and show us mercy. We are not okay on our own. We are not capable of seeing the right way. We do not have within us a light to shine on our own path to discern what is best. All these come from the Lord, our shepherd. And so the beginning of this verse calls to our attention the shepherd who leads and sheep like David who are willing to be led. David recognizes for him, it is better for him to be the one who follows God than to be the one who is calling the shots. 
So if any of us are to walk out of here taking comfort in Psalm 23.3, we must beware that it comes be with being willing to surrender by following to the Lord's direction. Only the sheep under God's good leadership are the happy ones. Divine guidance is essential to us reaching a good end. I grew up involved in sports, so every time I showed up to practice, a coach had a workout planned for me ahead of time. After college, I really struggled for years to exercise. Some of you might share in that plight. I've known for a while that exercise is important for my health, but I just wasn't doing it. I had to admit recently that the only way I was going to do the right thing and exercise regularly was to find someone who could help me. Someone to be at the gym when I'm there who shows me what to do and how to do it. And by following their direction, I trust I will in that way become more healthy like I need to be. That kind of coming to an end of my own abilities and looking to someone else to help me, that is the kind of posture that David is encouraging us in. And it is an altogether different posture than the one recommended by the opening poem I read or by the culture you and I live in. Master of my fate, captain of my destiny, the kind of mantras that tell you you don't need anyone else. Dependency is weakness. Be true to yourself. Follow your heart. Do what's best for you. Take control of your life. But I find when we follow those deceptive encouragements, we uncover two very glaring problems. One is the problem of our failure, which inevitably comes. What happens when we are the master of our fate and we fail? Who will help us if we are to be our greatest hope? The other problem is the problem of our finiteness, finite power. We have no real control over our lives or our deaths. Finite knowledge. Sheep don't wind up lost because they know the way. They wind up lost because they don't. There are things we don't know. We're dependent upon God to show us. And even when we know God is a shepherd, and even when we through Christ seek to follow him in obedience, we don't always follow him well. An example of this is seen in how God so often does some of the best work in our life through some of the hardest things. But you know, when we enter trial and it goes on and on and on, do any of us see how that's going to result in good? Do any of us predict at the outset of what is most hard in our life that God could possibly use that or how? No. How prone we are to doubt when the path seems hard ahead of us that the path is actually the one God wants us to take. Yes, the path is often hard. But the condition of the path should never be the determining factor for where it is we walk. Instead, we walk in the direction the shepherd sets. Sometimes we don't wait on the Lord to lead. Because instead there's a very pretty path in front of us that seems good. 
with or without the Lord's direction. We get an offer for a job. We see a potential relationship. We think about a new thing in front of us and we surge forward without giving time to think, without seeking counsel, without praying. I think my weak faith is often unwilling to trust that God leads me. Not not in some like vague sense, but in that day-to-day, moment-by-moment, in the decisions of life kind of way, in the very practical things. And so in those things, lacking a faith that applies God's direction to my specific circumstances in life, I tend to generalize his lead and instead trust my own ability to do the things in the here and now. I wonder if you resonate. So how do we avoid this instinct to get ahead of God and lead? How do we cultivate hearts that are attentive and desire to follow God's lead instead? Well, how does a lost wanderer become a guided follower? Someone needs to find them. And this is what Jesus does. This is what Jesus does in moments even like this. Where you are acknowledging, I've been wandering from God. I've been following my own lead. I've been doing it my way. And whether you saw it before this morning or not, you're seeing it now. And here, we're affirmed again. Jesus is the good shepherd. He comes after our wandering souls. He takes us and he leads us on his paths. And so if that's you, appeal to him. Ask him. Cry out to him. God, find me and lead me. And when he comes to us and says, follow me, we respond and surrender. We stop running and we follow. If you're going to be with this shepherd, there is only one direction. Going where he is headed. Because we depend so much on God's lead, so much of our conversation with God in prayer is going to take this shape. The shape of us expressing our belief that he is the lead. He's involved in our lives and then the lives of others we're praying for. Your faith in prayer will grow when your confidence is in the fact that he leads me. God is committed in love to lead you. And the way he's leading you is exactly the way you need to go. So young people, younger people, college students, high school students, middle school students. When you wonder where you're headed in your life. The where in earthly terms is less important for you than the one who you go with. Where you end up in terms of your job your career, your standing or your status, the type of family you have, all those things are less important than that you go along the shepherd's way throughout all your life. You will never be able to predict your circumstances, so it's best not to try. But you can always be absolutely certain that the Lord will be with you no matter what, so best to trust in that. If you're discouraged or downcast this morning, when you think about the path your life has taken, you may wonder if you might have taken the wrong path. 
in that you can know that the good shepherd leads you now and he knows you. There may be multiple paths he takes us on throughout our lives. Some seem much better than others, but trust me and trust the Lord. None are mistakes. None. If you're a waiting person this morning and find yourself waiting and waiting, sometimes we are in these seasons where we're uncertain about what God is doing. But we can always know that he is a God that is active and doing what is good for us. Maybe you're tired and weary in that waiting process. Maybe you're tired and weary in the living process. Jesus will adjust his pace for weary sheep. You don't have to be strong to keep up with him. Take one step of faith at a time, and he will guide you. The Lord leads us. It is his choice where we go. His choice. So church, let's continue to pray for his leadership in our life as a church and in our direction and in our future and talk about it when we see him answering that prayer and leading us. We want to have a culture that looks to him, not to our wisdom, not to our opinions, not to our ingenuity and rationale, but looks to the shepherd who guides us. God's direction in our life is according to his lead. But where exactly is he leading us? We come to our second observation about the text. His paths. His paths. Verse 3 says, he leads me in paths of righteousness. Righteousness is a, a legal word. It's the standard of what is right that is set by God, articulated in his word and in his law. It is all of it an expression of who God is himself. The Apostle Paul tells us in Romans how Christ, our Savior, lived righteously, that is, without sin, without any error before the law of God, in total obedience to it, and then dies in our place because we are unrighteous, deserving of the condemnation of God's holy law because we have gone against it. By believing in Jesus' death and resurrection for us, we are given Jesus' righteous standing before the Father. We're delivered from the sentence of guilt, made clean by the blood of Jesus. And because Jesus does all this for us, gives us his righteous life through his sacrificial death and victorious resurrection, then we can be assured that now before the Father, we are righteous in his sight. And we can now, following Jesus, live Jesus' righteous life with him because the Spirit is now given and alive in us. So we are made righteous in salvation and we live out our righteousness in our ongoing obedience to God, fully dependent on his grace and Spirit. This process we call sanctification. Adam read for us from Philippians 1 earlier. If you would turn there, it'll be on page 980. 980 of your pew Bibles. Philippians 1, Paul's writing, talking about what he's praying for, encouraging the saints in Philippi. And in verse 6 he says... I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. 
And what is that ongoing good work that God started when he saved you, Christian? Well, it's what Paul then prays will continue in Philippians 1, 9 through 11. And so much more. That your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. It is your righteous living. That is the good work that he began and continues. Paul will then go on in Philippians, if you want to read the letter later this week, to give his listeners many various ways to pursue this righteous life, their thought life, their speech, their unity with each other, to name a few. That sanctification process he's describing of growing in righteous living is what David is talking about when he says the paths of righteousness. Jesus says there is only one path to God. There's not many paths, and that's not what David's talking about. God says that there's one way to the Father. We enter through a narrow gate. Salvation in Jesus' name through his death for you is the only way to the Father. It's the only way onto these paths that David is talking about. And we cannot be righteous in any sense, any legal sense before the Lord, if we do not come through Jesus, if he is not our standing and our security. If God is to sanctify any one of us, he must first save us. So before you think about living more righteously, think about your standing before the Lord. And if you have been saved by Jesus. And once he saves us, he then takes us on a multifaceted, multi-mile, multi-year journey through hills and valleys. And his purpose in the path he takes us is producing righteousness in us. The paths of righteousness David refers to are the many different ways Christ is pursuing his plan in you to make you more like himself. More in conformity with his character. More in obedience to his laws. So there's a very specific direction the shepherd is leading you. Even if the paths are multiple. And if this is the way he leads, then surely this is what is most important for us. This is why he tells us to make pursuing righteousness our primary aim. He said, seek first his righteousness. Didn't he? How more explicit could he be in the primary focus he wants us to have in our life? Do you know what God desires to give you? To grow you to have a heart that completely loves him. Why? Because when you live in love with God, you live the greatest version of life there is to live. It is the best. It is the absolute best outcome. For your life. The triune God is invested in our progress in holiness because it leads to our life. He considers this a chief outcome he is achieving in us. And this is the only way Jesus goes. He will rescue us from our wandering. But then he will walk us in the paths of his righteousness.
So if you're not currently going in a holy way, be concerned that you're not going in the shepherd's way. To be clear, Jesus only leads on paths of righteousness, never on paths of wickedness. Now we may falsely rationalize Christ's support of our sinful attitudes that emerge when we're stressed or we're worried or we're tired. But Jesus, while patient with us and all that, is never content with even semi-pure pursuits. He is leading us to things that are completely new, not halfway new. The shepherd's priority is your righteousness. To have Christ formed in us is more important to him than us having status or money or comfort. None of those are the sure promised direction of the shepherd, but righteousness is. Do you want to be led by the Lord? I stress as a Christian, this is your heart's desire. You may come away from it. You may come back to it. You may have been reminded of it again today as we prayed and praised him and remembered all this grace and mercy to us in the gospel. Our hearts start to beat again and thump with the Spirit's work in us. And we say, yes, I want to be led by the shepherd. Well, the desire to be led must be matched with the desire to go toward his righteousness. That is the posture Of the surrendered sheep. If God has a priority for our righteousness. Then we the sheep want to affirm that priority over other things. We want to be people who are captivated and enamored with what God says is lovely. And pure. And good. And if God says he sets a path for our righteousness. We want to agree. To be people that follow the path that he lays out, even when it means leaving paths that we wanted. If righteousness requires you to pass on an opportunity to advance in your job through shady means, then you leave the path of promotion to take the path of Christ. If righteousness requires you not to enter into a romantic relationship with a non-Christian in order to follow Jesus, you take Christ's way. So how do we discern what the right paths are? We want to follow him. We understand this is the direction he's going. So which paths should we take? Well, scripture tells us his word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. That's one way. Yes, sometimes God might lead in strange, seemingly miraculous, subjective ways. But whatever direction he takes, even in those incredible things, will never run counter to his revealed will and his word. More often than not, though, our guidance will come from the word of God and godly counsel. Those are the things God has put directly for us. And this is the means the Holy Spirit uses most often to show us God's way for us. So in your next huge decision, consider those two means he's given you. Ask him for help, certainly. Go to his word. And go to a trusted brother or sister to run by the decision with them. And see if they have any thoughts from God's word that could help you. Spiritual leaders are tasked by God to provide this kind of direction as well. Parents, God put you as parents of your kids to teach them what God says is good and right and true. You are leading them in that way in righteousness. 
And our lives will teach them that as much as our words. Church, God puts elders as under shepherds to guide you in what God's word says is righteous. Know that this is a weighty task for them. And it will be to their advantage and yours to pray for them to do this well. And for you to follow them when they do. Understand this is God's path for us. Of course, the world is full of people that will be happy to have you follow them instead of the paths of righteousness. Here's how to identify an anti-shepherd. And they are many. Anti-shepherds will usually have an agenda other than your spiritual maturity in Christ. And often an agenda that serves them. A fail-proof way of discerning righteous paths from wicked ones is that the paths of righteousness when followed will not ultimately exalt you or me or someone else, but instead will glorify God. Which leads us then to the third part of this verse, where we see the true shepherd leads us for his glory. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Our shepherd's purposes are surely good for us if they lead us in the way of life that is righteousness. But even beyond that, they also aim for his glory. For his glory. God is using your life, Christian, for that great end. He's chosen that way. He's determined to work in whatever way is necessary to use and utilize you to contribute to his praise and honor. Now, God's glory can be challenging to understand, challenging to comprehend. I do not think we're going to get our minds and our hearts completely around it this morning. The glory of God is all the aspects and qualities that demonstrate his Godness, his actions, his character, his superiority, his grandeur, his majesty. Were we to witness his glory, we would be overwhelmed by the sense that God is in a category all by himself. There is no one like him. God's glory indicates to us that he is deserving of our worship and devotion. He made us. He can unmake us. He is holy and perfect and true. He is the all good. He gives us life. He provides for us. He redeems us from sin. He is all loving. He is the just one and the one who will bring justice against all who oppose him. He is all powerful and he is all holy. He is glorious. God's glory explains all that God does. God is always going to speak and act and direct in such a way that all that is best about him will be upheld. So if his creation is broken by man's sin, God will show himself glorious to restore what he has made. When his people got enslaved in Egypt, lost in the wilderness, captured by a foreign nation, ruined by their own sin, God displayed his glory in his power to redeem. When spiritual powers, much more powerful than us, revolt against him, God promises justice. In every word, in every record in the scripture coming from God's mouth, God's glory is always in view. Every action he takes is with an aim to exalt his name. The best illustrations I can come up with To describe this 
is God's glory revealed in the natural world. This is one of the functions of the created order. Romans 1.19 says, For God's invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So when you and I stand on the beach and witness the ocean, we see something far beyond what we can comprehend. In our scope, in our view, we're only looking at a sliver of what exists of the ocean. And there's so much more that we can't see. On a hot day, we enjoy swimming in the water, playing in the waves. But we also know the power of the wave that can knock us down. And the expanse of the ocean that could easily overwhelm us. Take the ocean away and the world dies. Raise the oceans a few feet and most of humanity that lives on the coast loses everything. Mankind travels the ocean, swims in them, dives in them, but no one ever claims to rule them. And even when the most majestic ships set sail across her waters, the oceans always have the potential to turn them back or take them under. This is, as best I can attempt, a faint glimpse of what the glory of God is like. Here's another example to talk about at lunch. How does God's glory get revealed in space? Psalm 19.1 says, the heavens declare the glory of God. Kids, talk together, talk with your family. Friends, talk about how the heavens declare what it means that God is glorious. And how we glimpse his glory through what he's made. Now we have to zoom out to the wide angle lens of God's glory in order to understand Psalm 23.3. What he does for his name's sake, for his glory. When God rescues you through Christ and then directs you in a new way of living that leads to eternal life for you. And the ability to participate in what is good and right and true. All that is for your good. And yet... The Lord's overarching motivation in doing good to his people is to demonstrate that he is that kind of God. He doesn't go after the lost sheep because a sheep deserves to be rescued. He goes because God is a glorious being that chooses to show grace even though he could choose just as easily to consume. So when the psalmist writes, he leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. He describes what the shepherd is purposing and planning to do through his faithful shepherding. God's direction in your life will, more than anything else, result in God's name getting praised. In the final evaluation, whether you are a child of God who shouts in heaven that the Lamb of God who is slain is worthy of all glory, or you are a rebel who bows in hell under his justice, God's name will resound as glorious. I fear we far too often think of our individual names far too highly than we should. Oh, God thinks about your name. God cares about who you are. He designed you to reflect him. Your life has value and worth and significance. He knows your name and he desires to give you a new name in heaven. But everything God does has the glory and praise and honor of his own name in view above all else. 
Christian, there is no better purpose God could pursue in your life than the honor of his own name. When God's glory is upheld, so is your good. It is only when God abandons his purposes in your life would you have cause for worry or for fear. And God never abandons his purposes in your life. The shepherd's purpose to bring glory to his own name through your life brings tremendous significance to the whole of your life. Both the big things and in the little things. In all God's direction, even in the most mundane things, God is out to do a great thing. God is out to bring honor to his name at a cosmic level. So, your decision to fight the battle against your impatience with your kids and ask God to help you be kind and encouraging with your words this week, that glorifies God. It shows how our shepherd can save and change and lead and prosper us in his ways. Or the contented trust we show in our shepherd in times of uncertainty or prolonged waiting. This is how we surrender to Christ's lead for his namesake. And it gives him glory. Remember, if his glory is the outcome, there are many paths that he can use to get you there. He won't always take the most convenient one. He won't always take the most efficient one. There might seem to us to be many turns and turnabouts, but God knows how each is exactly leading to his praise. So how do we live for the honor and glory of God today? We walk in the paths of righteousness. For some of us, that might seem too little of a thing. We want to do bigger. We want to do better than that. We want our lives to matter hugely. We want our name in history books for the glory of God. And that means we think we need to make some great contribution or some signal sacrifice. Friends, we don't add anything to God's glory by what we bring with our lives. When we follow him as surrendered sheep, we are simply asking him to add his good and his glory to our lives. For others of us, walking in righteousness may seem too big a thing. For we know how often we've fallen off that path. We've lived long enough to know that consistently following the Lord every day is hard. Because our hearts are so often distracted and derailed by temptation and desire and self. Maybe you, like me, have misunderstood so many times what Jesus is calling you to. Sometimes I think I envision the Christian life to be like climbing Mount Everest, as if when Jesus saved me, he simply got me up to base camp, got me a bunch of gear, and then said, I'll see you at the top, and leaves me alone to climb. And now we're a mile up in this life. We've already fallen and stumbled several times. Lost some gear we thought we needed. We're not nearly in as good spiritual health as we thought we were. And there are still miles to go. So when we hear walk in righteousness, we feel burdened and weary because we see Everest Peak way far in the distance. If that's you, the shepherd calls you to come down. 
from an Everest of your own making and striving. That is not the way he's leading. His call is simple as when he spoke it to his first disciples. Come, follow me. If Jesus takes you through a time of trial, follow him in patience and steadfastness. If Jesus takes you through suffering, follow him in humility that appeals for his grace. If Jesus leads you through testing, stay near enough to his voice so that you can keep trusting. When the path is hard, ask for his help. When the path is easy, pray for his protection. When we're following Jesus, you are never going to need to ford a river or blaze a trail on your own. The shepherd is always going to be ahead of you. He is your shade from the heat, your light in the darkness. He is the staff and the ark that parted the Red Sea and the Jordan for his people. He is the trumpets that brought down Jericho. He is the rock that brings water to the thirsty. He is the manna from heaven that feeds us in our hunger. We do not need to worry about how our life will end up for his glory. Do you want to know that your life has purpose? Do you want to know how to glorify God? Pursue righteousness today. Turn from sin. Trust in God. Rest on yourself less. Depend more on Christ. Die to yourself. Love others. Abandon anger. Take up peace. Run from evil, do what is good. If you're young and you want to do more than that, that's for God to decide, not you. Seek first his righteousness. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. If you're older or just tired and realistic and you don't think you can do any of that, Perhaps it's time to reconsider the shepherd's call. He says he will lead you. What do you need to say to him? Perhaps a confession that we haven't been following. Maybe it's time for a humble acknowledgement that we can't do this on our own. An appeal, perhaps, for him to show you grace. And then a request to show us the way. This is the way to follow Christ. And that's all the Christian life really is. Following Christ. He came to open up these paths for us. Living in righteousness. He came dying for unrighteous sinners. Cursed under the sin at the cross. Vindicated. As the perfect sacrifice when he rose. Without this we could never be anything other than lost sheep. But Jesus came to find us and save us. And by his spirit in us he now leads us. Expect that the path we take will look a lot like Jesus's as we go. All through his life Jesus was led well. Led perfectly. Led and he's staying very closely to the lead of his father. Jesus prayed for guidance. He depended on his father for direction. He received help from the spirit. He is the shepherd that shows us how to be a sheep. I think the simplicity of surrender to Jesus' lead 
is also the hardest part about following him as human beings. I think the simplicity of surrender to Jesus' lead is the hardest part about following him because we're human. Because in surrender, we give up all control. Remember Jesus' last conversation in John with Peter? Jesus tells Peter, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to show Peter by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after this, Jesus said to him, follow me. Following Jesus means surrendering control. But who other than Jesus will you trust with control? Will you really be the master of your own fate and the captain of your destiny with God on the throne? Will your power be able to dispel the darkness of death? Can you take the helm of today, let alone the rest of your life, and guide it to whatever destination you desire? No. There is only one master to trust, and it is Jesus. There is only one captain, and it is Christ. He leads us in this life, through death, and on to his eternal Glory. There really is a very simple way to apply Psalm 23 3 to our lives. All we really need to do is say we're ready to follow wherever the shepherd leaves, leads. Let's pray.